0: From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis.
1: And I'm Greg Cott. Mavis Staples just released her latest solo album and shows no signs of slowing down as she approaches her 80th birthday this summer.
2: Give me a one-way ticket somewhere I've never been. I'm rock, paper, scissors, and I'm bound to win.
0: This week, we hear from the living legend about her life and career. That's coming up
1: on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and uh, i got to tell you, Mavis Staples is on a tear, Jim. (laughs) Uh, With her new release, We Get By, she's released seven solo studio albums since 2004. Every Uh, one of them a gift. She'd basically stopped making music for a few years after her, her father died, and man, she has come back with a vengeance. She's also celebrating her 80th birthday in July and as a prelude to that, has done a handful of these star-studded concerts across the country, which is really incredible to see all these luminaries coming out to celebrate her legacy. Uh, So we're going to take this chance to revisit our interview with her from 2017. You wrote the
0: definitive biography of Mavis Staples. I'll take you there. Mavis Staples, the Staples Singers, and the Music that Shaped the Civil Rights Movement. A fantastic read, came out in 2014. Who is Mavis Staples?
1: Well, it's a grand story, Jim. It spans 20th century music and on into the 21st century. It starts with her father, Pop Staples, who grew up on Dockery Farm in Mississippi and learned the blues guitar at the feet of the founder of the blues, of the modern blues anyway, Charlie Patton, Mm. combined it with four-part gospel harmonies, uh, moved to Chicago, uh, taught it to his children, including Mavis and her brother and sisters, Purvis, Cleotha, and Yvonne. Uh, They became a family band known as the Staple Singers, performing in churches in Chicago beginning in the late 40s, became a national act in 1956, with Uncloudy Day, Uh, Mavis went on from there and her family to uh, greatly influence and provide a soundtrack for the civil rights movement in the 60s. They were uh, best friends with Martin Luther King, would often be his opening act at many Mm -hmm. of his uh, presentations uh, during the marches. Um, In the 70s, uh, enjoyed a huge string of hits, including I'll Take You There. In, uh, in the 90s, uh, she began reinventing herself as a solo act. Uh, Prince produced a couple records for her.
0: You know, as you said earlier, Greg, after Pop Staples' death in 2000, the Staples Singers as a group ended. Um, it was a dark time for Mavis, but she rejuvenated her life and career by focusing on solo albums, a few produced by Jeff Tweedy of Wilco, and now the latest, the new one, We Get By, produced by Ben Harper. Yeah, I mean, she's turning 80 in July and has produced more than 50 years of relevant music. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I started, uh, Greg, by asking Mavis if it's true that she began singing at age 11.
2: 11 years old, actually, uh, well, 11 years old when we first went out
0: Mm. to sing. Oh, when he went pro. When we, <laughs> not,
2: <laughs> not totally pro. When we went to the first, first storefront church. Okay. You know, we went out of the living room
3: because
2: mm-hmm. we started in the living room when I was about eight years old. Wow. And at 11 years old, uh, by the time I was 11 years old, my aunt Katie lived with us. And she came through the living room one night and heard us rehearsing. And she said, shucks. Y'all sound pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I want y'all to sing in my church Sunday.
0: You know? Oh, big honor. Oh, in honor.
2: We were so happy we were going to be singing somewhere other than on the living room floor. Okay.
0: Well, when you say us now, it's you and Cleotha, Yvonne, and Purvis, right? Yes. Your brothers and sisters. Were, and, and Pops? And Pops. They, they play, play guitar.
2: Pops played guitar. And Pops was uh, giving us uh. the voices the voices that he and his sisters and brothers sang mm-hmm. when they were in Mississippi. Yeah. You know, that's that's our sound, pop staples. And Katie, you know, she dressed cleanly, and Yvonne and I, mm-hmm. to go to this church that Sunday. We went to church, we sang it. We sang the very first song Pops taught us, Will the Circle Be Unbroken. Will the circle
3: be unbroken By and by, Lord, by and by. There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky.
2: And we sang that song, and the people were clapping us back. We didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. They kept clapping, and someone had to tell us, they 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 want to hear you all again. You got to sing mm-hmm. again. So we got up and we sang again. Well the circle be unbroken? Yeah. We had to sing that song three times. Wow. It was the only song that Pops had taught us all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So Pops said, "Shucks, there all These people like us. We're going home and learn some more songs. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history."
3: Bye, and bye Lord, bye. And- there's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky.
1: It, it's an amazing family group. Um, you talked about those harmonies that, that Pops taught you that he, he learned Growing up on Dockery Farm.
2: On Dockery Farm.
1: Now, Dockery Farm is also the birthplace of the blues. Charlie Patton was playing a lot of guitar there, and Pops is also studying Charlie
3: Patton. (laughs)
1: So he's bringing these gospel voices uh, in with blues guitar, yeah. which I don't you know, <laughs> Pops is innovative beyond belief. I think he's one of the great musical minds of the 20th century mm-hmm. because Never he gets brought those two styles a together. Yeah. Yes. Great guitar player, the way he envisioned those vocals with the family. Did you kind of uh, have a sense that something different, you sounded a little bit different than everybody else, even on the gospel circuit? You know, I knew we
2: were different, you know, we had our own style. We didn't sound like anybody else, and everyone else would get up and sing it loud and loud, and we'd come, Pops, we'd sing, "Lo, low is the way, singing softer, and, uh, and the harmonies, the harmonies that Pops gave us was, was uh, what was so unique. You know, he had Cleady, my older sister,
3: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> he had Cleady singing in a minor, Every singer you see out there, they want to sound like Cleetie. Aretha wanted to beat her baby sister up because she couldn't sound like Cleotha. And uh, the guy, William, with the pips, he mm-hmm. wanted to sound like Cleetie. They would ask me, where are you going? How do you do that? But Cleetie's voice and Pops' guitar was the staple singers mm-hmm. that made the difference from everyone else. Read. And then we had a sound. This lady Evelyn Gates, she helped us a lot when we first started making records. Evelyn Gates wrote Rope Staples, I don't know what you and them children are singing. Y'all singing country. You're singing. We hadn't ever heard any country. Mm-hmm. But for some reason we were lured over to country. We were pulled into folk. We had a sound. And and then when the blues people, when the blues people started calling us to blues festival, mm. I asked my father. I said, Daddy, why are they calling us to these blues festivals? We don't sing no blues. Mm -hmm. He said, Mavis, you go back and you listen to our music. You listen good. He said, you'll hear jazz, blues, gospel, R&B. You'll hear all of that in our sound. So I couldn't, that was it. I, I had nothing else. I listened, and I said, he's right. And then that's when I first heard the blues.
3: Mm-hmm. See,
2: because for years we sang with our father singing gospel, and we didn't know Pops was playing the blues on his
3: guitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell the heaven, now you tell the heaven.
0: You know, we forget, we think gospel's always been with us. Mm-hmm. But it was being born here in Chicago, the Reverend Thomas Dorsey. Yes. But but was there pushback from the Dorsey school of gospel? to you guys bringing in all these other elements blues and country and folk
2: well uh thomas a darcy you would call his gospel spiritual yeah. or spiritual songs like very church swing yeah. low and precious lord mm-hmm. take my hand you know and and uh the gospel the shouldn't of gospel is upbeat you know mm-hmm. uh when the saints Go marching in it, you know. <laughs> so so there were some churches that wouldn't let Sister Mahalia Jackson sing in their pulpits. Really? Really. She 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 sing, move on up a little higher. Yeah. You know, she had a she and sister Rosetta thought,
3: Yeah.
2: They were rock and rollers. Just
3: that my feet.
2: Mr. Mahalia Jackson was the greatest. I, I have I, I I admire her so much. Mm. You know, Pops used to play these big 78 records. Mm-hmm. And I was a little kid. I'd be in the back room playing with my dolls, and I would hear this. This was the very first lady's voice that I heard. Because mm. he always had the Soulster, the pilgrim travelers, the, the nightingales. And then he had this lady come through and it moved me on up into the living room where Pops was. And I said, Who is that, Daddy? He said, You like her, don't you, Mavis? I said, Yes, sir. Yeah. And he told me, that's Sister Mahalia Jackson. He would say Sister Mahalia Jackson so much. When I finally met her.
0: You called her sister. Sis-
2: Mrs. <laughs> Mrs.
0: Sister.
3: <laughs> I said,
2: Hello, Mrs. Sister Mahalia Jackson. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I told her, I said, my name is Mavis. And I sang too. She said, oh, you do, huh? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I want to hear you sing. And I said, oh, you'll hear me. I (laughs) sing loud.
3: (laughs) Wonderful love.
1: Maple Singer's breakthrough, Uncloudy Day. You had tried to make some records before that and without a lot of success, you were still basically a Chicago-based act. Mm -hmm. That song exploded. It became a huge nationwide hit, Uncloudy Day, your version of it. That is a very famous gospel song. I have heard millions of groups do that. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard anyone do a version quite like the Staple Singers did that day. Mm-hmm. That arrangement that you had for that song. Yes. And your voice, Mavis. Uh-huh. You were probably what 17, 18 when you recorded I wasn't that, that old. song. Oh. I was about 13, 14. You sounded like you were 35. <laughs> and then you sounded like a much more mature like a woman who had lived a little, you know.
2: Uh-huh. Pops to That was the first time I'd heard Uncloudy Day. When he taught it to us, you know, we sing it down in harmony, and he said, Now Mavis, you sing it. well, well, well he told me and I just said it. Well, 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 oh Lord they tell me now. You know, Vivian Carter, BJ Records, she called Pops one day, she said, Staples, this song is selling like an RB.
3: <laughs>
2: we started getting letters, letters. From all over earth to come and sing, pops came home one time. He told mama, he said, "Oh, sis, I believe me and the children can make a living with this singing." And mama said, "Robuck, don't you quit your job." <laughs> uh-huh.
3: <laughs>
2: he was working at crane company, a construction work. But but uh, we would go to places, y'all, and and the people would have bet. Because at this job, it was like, this is little Mavis Fables. This little girl is singing this song, and people would bet they, they ain't no little girl. Hmm. That's got to be a man or a big fat woman. <laughs> That's not a little girl. They would actually, we get to the program, Durham, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, Memphis, and we would fool them. We know they've been betting. And uh, we sing it down in harmony, and when my part comes, come, Purvis, my brother... He would kind of step up to the mic like he... And like he was it was going to be him. Like you know, it was going to be him. He would hear all over the world. I told you that wasn't no little girl. I told you. That while they were going through that, I'm up to the mic saying, well, 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 well." <laughs> 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 and man, the place would go crazy. One man come up to me, pointed his finger at me. Little old girl, I bet my whole paycheck on you. And Pop <laughs> said... <laughs> Pop said, well, you shouldn't be. <laughs> well, well...
3: Well Lord. yes, oh yes, they tell well, me No, they tell me how I got a home, so yeah, got a hotel beyond the sky. Oh yes, it will well They tell me, oh, they tell me. Far, far away, oh, yes, they tell me. yeah, they tell me. Oh, yeah, they tell me. No oh, yeah, they tell me. Oh, they tell me. Oh, they
1: tell me tell me You
3: know I have
2: I've just been blessed I the Lord gifted me with my voice. I don't know a stitch of music. I don't. I don't even know what key I sing in. But my voice was always heavy. My voice comes from my mother's side of the family. She and my grandmother they had strong voices, mm. and uh, I would I would get in fights at school. <laughs> the kid would tell me, "You sound like a boy." Like, you know. That's how I learned how to fight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't cross that <laughs> baby. No,
2: don't don't tell me that. You gonna get it.
3: That's
0: After a short break, we'll continue our conversation with Mavis Staples by looking at the Staples singer's successful years at Stax and Muscle Shoals. That's in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, my partner, Mavis's biographer, is Greg Cott, and we are revisiting our 2017 conversation with the inimitable Mavis Staples about her life and career. We left off with the Staples singers' version of Uncloudy Day gaining popularity across the country, and this led the Staples to their deep and significant involvement with the civil rights movement. So significant, in fact, that we devoted a whole show to that one aspect of their lives, which you can find on our website, soundopinions.org. Or on the podcast
1: feed. We're going to pick up the story, though, Jim, in 1968, and that was a key moment in the staple singer's career. That's when they signed to Stax Record in Memphis. Stax was already emerging as a major powerhouse in, in soul music, sort of the, the southern counterpart to what was happening in Motown. And uh, they started recording at, at that point with uh, the great Steve Cropper, the guitar player in Booker T and the MGs. Now those records with Cropper weren't big hits, but then they went to Muscle Shoals, Alabama at the behest of Stax chairman, Al Bell, and they recorded some of their finest music. So I asked Mavis about arriving in Muscle Shoals for the first time. Middle of nowhere, Alabama. Black people weren't necessarily welcomed with open arms there, but here's this white rhythm section and your family in the studio together making these great records.
2: Yes, and that blew our minds, you know, when when we got there to Muscle Shows and met the guys. And they were just so nice, you know, just so nice. And uh, even Jimmy, we would go to his mother's house for dinner. Jimmy Johnson, the guitar player. Jimmy Johnson, yes. And I realized all white people weren't mean, you know, that they, they weren't the same. These guys were so loving and so tight, you know. That's what made that music so good. Their attitudes and their personalities, and we in the studio together, you know, when you're in the studio, we hadn't done that in a long time, right in the studio with the rhythm section. Rebecca could do something on that piano just to make me go, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, little David. Uh, David see, Hood. David Hood. All of that, I'll take you there. It mm. was nothing planned. It was mm. nothing planned. It was just free fall.
1: Just free fall. Just, just came together in the moment. Just came together in the moment. Well, people don't realize that that song has like five lines of lyrics in it. That's right. And it's a four and a half minute song. And you go, man, that's that's an awesome song. And then you realize... <laughs> It's, it's all improvisation. i I'm A at
2: limit, yeah. It's, it's improv.
1: How was it coming together? I mean, it, it sounded like just a sketch, and then you guys took it somewhere. How did you know, that happen?
2: When I heard those guys playing, and, uh, and see what was so killing, I hadn't ever seen anything like this before. Barry Beckett, he would hear the song, I know a place, anybody crying, ain't nobody worried, and then he would write lines. He wouldn't write notes. He would write lines down. And give them to the rest of the band. And I said, "What? what is that? He said, that's the song, Mavis." I said, okay. Never seen anything like that. But uh, then they would start playing. pump, pump, uh-uh-uh-uh. And this other guy was there too. Eddie Hinton. Uh,
3: yeah. Eddie
2: Hinton. Yeah. He could play that guitar. Pops would just marvel over his guitar. I
3: know the place.
2: They would put me and Eddie, put me in one glass box and put him in another glass box. I didn't understand why, but we were in glass boxes. And what, what really got to me with that, those guys, I'm just singing, singing, singing and creating stuff and all of a sudden, everything stopped. Eight o'clock, it's over. I said, what y'all doing? Mavis, we're going home. I said, wait a minute.
3: <laughs>
2: I said, wait a minute, I'm not finished yet. Mavis, you have to finish tomorrow. I said, from from one to eight, that's what they at eight o'clock, the session is Done over. Done with the session.
1: Wow. They were doing so many sessions at that point. Everybody wanted to record with them. Paul Simon was down there, the yeah. rolling stones, you know. And so it was just they were just cranking them out. Yeah. But so
2: they that was probably the best thing for them to do, to get it out of their head, clear their heads, and come back the next day. Mm-hmm. Whew, but that hurt me. <laughs> I said, and, and It would have been, been good if I had had my little tape recorder go on. Mm-hmm. I would have had what I did, you know. But I had to start all over the next
0: now day. Imagine if you had an iPhone back then, Mavis. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: It, it had to be fascinating to Pops and and your siblings and yourself mm-hmm. that these artists from this other world, you know, uh, the folk musicians and the rock artists mm-hmm. were listening to your music. Like Dylan was t- telling stories about listening to the staple Singers on the radio station yeah. when he was a kid and being yeah. struck by how different you sounded. And it really struck him. Yeah. And the members of the band and, and John Fogarty basically saying, I ripped Pops off for half the guitar licks I played. <laughs> yeah, he did. Rakuda, all these artists who are huge fans of what the Staple Singers were doing.
2: hmm I was sitting at the Grammy with Pops, and Rakuda got this this uh, Grammy. I didn't know who Rakuda was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> me and Coco Taylor and Pops were sitting together, and Ry got up and said, "Thank you for this. I thank Pops Staples. He taught me." I said, Daddy, you taught him? <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: he said, Mavis, he doesn't mean he listened to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, but you're right. It, it's really an honor. It really makes you feel good that these people were listening to us. We didn't know it. Dylan, he does. He says, Mavis, she says, yonder comes little David with this and <laughs> sling. Mm-hmm. I don't want to meet him. He's a dangerous man. I don't know, he remembered that verse. He, re- This is Bob Dylan. I mean, Mavis, who are you? To to, to say of something that Bob Dylan's going to remember like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It makes me very proud. Hmm. I'm somebody. <laughs> no, I'm just a Come, come, little David.
3: Say it with his rock and slay I don't want me He's a dangerous man up, and rest a while.
2: It is it, it's quite an honor I feel grateful that, that we inspire because they would come and tell us, the Porter Sisters mm. and uh, the Jackson Five. Pops would give Mr. Jackson lots of information. Uh, when the Jackson Five, he, he I said, Daddy, you should have told him and let them boys have some fun yeah, <laughs> and keep yeah. them rehearsing all the time. A Sly and the Family Stone. Sly was a disc jockey. Yeah. And he would play our stuff, and he said, say, sure. <laughs> We can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, he liked it. Sometimes I'm right,
3: and I could be wrong. My own beliefs are in my own song.
1: The butcher, the banker,
3: the drummer, and then. Don't make no different who I'm in. I am every day before.
1: Once you got done with Stacks, uh, Stacks folded. Uh, you guys continued your career. You had your biggest hit, Do It Again. Yes. And that's not exactly a gospel song.
2: Not, e- not even.
1: Not, not kind of like in the other side of the gospel. Not right? at that's at a Saturday all. night song as yeah, opposed to yeah. your Sunday morning stuff.
2: That's right. How did that song come together? Well, that song, that's c- come from Curtis Mayfield. Mm-hmm. And see, Curtis, Pops had told us, okay, Curtis is doing the soundtrack For this movie, let's do it again. He want us to sing. So, all right, we're glad to sing a soundtrack for a movie. We get in the studio, and Curtis, he gave me my part. Do it again. We got started. And then when he got to Pops, he said, now, Pops, this is your part. And that was, I like you, lady, so fine with your pretty hair. Pops said, Curtis, man, I'm not going to say that. Mm. I'm a church man. I'm not going to say that. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Curtis said, Oh, Pops, the Lord won't mind. It's just a song. It's just a, a movie score. And then uh, me, Yvonne and Cleetie, we jumped on Pops. Daddy, we got to say this. We wanna hear how this gonna be in a movie on the big screen and so on so and on, so. On. We finally talked Pops into doing it. And when he put it down when well, we we got in that movie. To See the premiere and Pops came on. You're talking about the biggest grin you ever <laughs> seen. And and then in shows, when Pops would come out, the ladies would I mean, it was just like Frank Sinatra when they would scream when Frank Sinatra would and then he turned around and, and grinned, Look at me, you know. I, I didn't make you do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I like you,
3: lady. So funny, you we go on the compliment just digging in the closed way.
2: I'm just a man
3: now, don't you fear? I can learn now, don't you hear? You do it again. Do it, do it,
2: do it again. But that was Curtis Mayfield and Curtis, he he had us the staple singers singing a secular song mm-hmm. the first secular song we ever sang and the last one mm-hmm. the, the, the group, the staple singers. Now, I made some others but the family, that's the only one
3: right, that right. we ever did Like a hammer on the block The love began to rock Give the system
0: Was he like before we get away,
2: Curtis? Curtis was, uh, uh, and, and just way you heard me talk. Uh, uh, yeah, he was always whining.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that voice didn't match, you know what was coming out of him. It never no, seemed to me. No, it
2: didn't. Oh, he was genius, blacker than blue. The songs he wrote, man, and and um, see, so because he started out. Jerry Butler was with them. Right. With Impressions, we lived it. it 89th and Langley, and Curtis and the other two guys, they bought three little houses in a row right around the corner from us. And he he would be over, stay, he would hang over with Daddy. He told Daddy, Pops, I want to make some of that kind of music that y'all love. And Daddy said, do it, Curtis. You, just write you some stuff, man. And I think the first one he wrote was Moving On Up.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hush not, child. And don't cry.
1: I don't think people appreciate what the south side of Chicago was like when you were growing up. Yeah. I mean, Curtis Mayfield and Jerry Butler were, were idolizing Pops. I mean, right. you had two of the greatest guitar players of all time, Pops, basically teaching Curtis and vice versa, uh-huh. right next to each other. Jerry Butler, you mentioned, Sam Cooke. Was a neighbor, Sam, Johnny Rawls. Taylor, Lou Rawls. Yeah. What was Spencer that neighborhood?
2: Taylor? Oh, man. The neighborhood was, this was the doo wop days. Doo wop. The Spaniels. Mm-hmm.
3: Baby, I need you, need you some. I'll never let you go. Cause I'm
2: Everybody, just like you read about the the, the brothers under the lamp pole, that's what they were doing. I witnessed it
3: you
4: know
2: I would see Purvis and Sam and uh, at night they under the house why did they get under the lamp pole? they didn't know, wouldn't
0: let the girls do it huh? no 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 oh, no no
2: man. indeed but they they all had their own little groups. they had gospel groups too. You know, and they would go, it's a a church, Hopewell, on 35th Street. He would let them come in after his service. He would let them come in at 3 o'clock. And and Purvis and, and Sam had a group, Purvis had a group, Spencer Taylor had a group. He was the Highway QC's. All of them would sing like it's a battle. It was a battle, you know. And nobody would be in the audience but us kids wow. sitting out there eating potato chips, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in a little brown bag. Yeah. You know, they they were entertaining us, you know.
3: Somewhere, somewhere, Lord, somewhere, my head when my head. I'm.
2: Somewhere. And uh, Pops had to make <laughs> Sam and Purvis, you know, they wear these bangs, they hair, and Dad P- say yeah, if you don't turn them back, I'm gonna cut them off. The next day you see <laughs> Sam and Purvis, they get them a stocking cap and some Murray, and man, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
3: wow!
2: <laughs> but but Sam and Purvis used to yell for the watermelon man. Mm. See back then. I'm fortunate enough, man. I'm telling you, I, I've seen the, the horse and wagon. Yeah. I've, I've I've seen the, the the live chickens and the coops where people would leave stuff out all the stores. They could leave it sitting out all night long. Nobody would bother it, you know. And they had all kind of me. They had the cold man, the ice man, the rag man. And they'd all be in these wagons with the horse. And the, 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 the watermelon man, all those kids would be running behind him. Sometimes the vegetable man, too, he'd give us a tomato, mm. you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the watermelon man, prayers and sound, they'd, Yo, hey, hey, watermelon man. Get your red ripe juicy, watermelon here. And boy, the ladies would run to the windows. Watermelon man, I want (laughs) him. And then the watermelon man would give us kids a plug, a watermelon, you know. Oh man, those were the days, those were the good old days.
0: When we return on Sound Opinions, we'll talk with Mavis Staples about her solo career. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we are talking the life and career of the inimitable Mavis Staples. She is enjoying a solo career today that's as strong as it's ever been. Her latest album, We Get By, is a strong one. Uh, She's performed alongside other stars from a variety of genres and always holds her own. But the idea of being a solo artist did not come naturally to Mavis Despite her undeniable star power, that charisma, she's very self-effacing. After the staple singer signed to Stax Records in 1968, the next year, the label tried to launch a solo career for Mavis. The first self-titled album was recorded with Steve Cropper and was followed up by Only the Lonely in 1970.
3: And the house is not a home when there's no one there to hold you tight. And no one you can kiss Good night
1: Yeah, as good as those records are, and and Stax was trying to fashion her as competition for her friend Aretha Franklin at that time, a solo act, uh, they weren't really huge successes. They didn't sink a lot of promotional money into marketing those records. And after that, Mavis didn't really seem interested in being a solo artist. So I asked her about her reluctance to go it alone after that. Steve Cropper told me, he said, you know, Mavis's heart, she just, that was not where she wanted to be. That's right. You know, I could That's tell right. she was not ready for this moment. That's right. And he said he saw you a few years ago again, shes and he goes, she's ready for this moment <laughs> now. See, now I ain't
2: gonna fight no rich man.
1: What changed? I mean, was it just a simple case like there was no other option? But you seemed very comfortable for the first time being out there as Mavis Staples as opposed to Mavis yeah. Staples of the Staples Singers.
2: And, and that was it, Greg. There was no other option. As long as there were Staple Singers, I was going to be a Staple Singer. Mm. And uh, I, I never wanted to go solo. I mean, I was a kid The people were, were offering millions for me to... To to I was still a teenager. And uh Daddy's I I had made this song Crying in the Chapel.
4: You saw me crying
3: in the chapel.
2: Dad said, Mavis, if people want to pay you million dollars to, to sing by yourself. You wanna sing by yourself? I said no sir, dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I'm a home person. And plus I would have been scared to death out there by myself. You know, my family has always been my security. You know, it just wasn't in me. I, I liked better singing with the group. I liked sing. I like the background. I thought, Daddy, Pops wanted me to sing lead when when Purvis was singing lead. Purvis' voice changed overnight, mm. and Pop said, Mavis, you're going to have to sing the lead. I was the baritone singer mm-hmm. when we first started, and and I said, Daddy, I don't want to sing the lead. I thought the baritone was the prettiest voice in the background. He said, Mavis, you can sing the highs and the lows. Purvis can't get up high no more, so you have to sing the lead. Mm. And I said, no, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and, boy, Pops had a little little piece of belt he had cut about the size of a ruler. And and uh, he kept telling me, Mavs, you gonna sing a lead? And he was leaning for that little belt, and, and I saw he was, fin- I said, okay, daddy, okay, okay, I'll sing, I'll sing. <laughs> and that's when I started singing lead. I've got something that I really wanna say. Sometimes things just won't go your way. Don't you worry when the sky turns gray Tomorrow is another day
0: 2016, uh, living on a high note, you know, the extraordinary contributions of these songwriters who wanted to write for your voice, uh-huh. right? You know, what? It, it, nothing else would bring together a group as diverse as Nico Case, Aloe Black, <laughs> Nick Cave, uh, you know, and, and 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 Meryl Garvis from Toon Yards. You know, the, how are you going to get them in a bus together, right? Yeah, yeah. And they all wanted to write for you.
2: They all wanted to write. And that Meryl, I said, this, this girl's trying to hurt me when she sent her herbs in there that um, who's going to do it if I don't do it? Mm-hmm. You know, and she's fire in her demo, you know. Yeah. Sick and tired of feeling sick and tired of Help us. They say my words might get me fired this ain't heaven
3: help
2: us What a terrifying time to raise our voices this ain't heaven help us But see, I'm not left with many more choices this
3: ain't heaven help us I gotta put it into action Action Action
2: but I was just so honored. That really makes you feel good. Mm. And I talked to a lot of them on the phone. Mm-hmm. The head and the hearts, just little kids, it really uh, made me feel good. They were just so shy to talk to me. Oh, huh? Miss Staples, <laughs> oh, I don't believe it. I, I said, oh, child, come on. Yeah, yeah. I'm just Mavis, you know, just I'm just Mavis. Mavis. Was a fool with my money. And I lost every dime And the sun stopped shining It rained all the time It did set me back some Oh, but I, I made it through
0: But I'll never get over losing you Mavis, let me ask a, a, a serious and sort of sad question, though. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you never had a family of your own, no children. No, no. Uh, one, one brief marriage. Um, uh, you know, you were so devoted to the Staples family, your brothers and sisters, and your dad. Do you feel like you lost anything in your own life? Did music steal something from you, being so single-mindedly dedicated? Oh
2: no, no, no! I and that that was that was a part of my my uh, divorce. My husband wanted me to stop singing. Yeah. And um no way I was going to stop singing. I I was singing years for years before I met him. Mm-hmm. You know, and singing was my life. It's what I love to do. You know, I love singing more than I love you. See, so <laughs> you got to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh that that ended it. And I I was married in 1964. And uh By 1970, I I just felt free to sing. You know, nothing could stop me, nothing to hold me back then. I'm on my own.
0: So you got to do what you wanted your whole life. That's right. Exactly. Okay.
2: Exactly, Jim.
0: And I'm going to be singing
2: to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Till there's no more air. Till there's no more
3: air. Everybody wants to find the perfect one. Someone that makes you happy. Someone that makes you laugh when you want to cry. Everybody wants to find the perfect
0: Well, I would have never thought that you would outlive Prince. Because I didn't you worked with him. Oh,
2: Lord. I didn't either. Yeah. I know. Who who would who would think that? That was the shock of my life. That was yeah. a, you know, and I, 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 sometimes I still can't believe it. Mm. Prince was my family. He was a part of my
0: family. Was Prince really weird, or how much of that was an act? Prince was weird. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> believe it. Yeah, Prince was weird. Different you know, wavelengths. Oh, my day. I said, Prince, when do you sleep? I said, we come in this studio, <laughs> and we leave out daylight. I always catch me up. You know, it's another day. Mavis, sleeping's a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. I'm going to waste some time. But I understood. You know, yeah. he was weird, but I understood. And and, and I said, he'd break up, too. Mm. He'd, he'd loosen up, and he was just so... Uh, uh, he just wanted to. He, he was full of uh, jokes, you know. He, mm. he was full. He was he was comical too. Yeah. Prince, look at you. Prince, Prince's eyes just had some this feeling. But oh Lord, he's the sweetest kid.
1: Well, you softened him up because uh, when I saw the last time I saw him, he started talking about the letters you wrote to him. Yeah. Uh, when you were starting to record together and you were telling him about your life so that he had something to write about because yeah. you were worried that this guy wasn't going to communicate with you right, in any way. Right, right. And he still talks about those letters. And yeah. he said that you were like a, a, a mom to him, you know? Yeah.
2: He came out to meet me at the shrine. And um, uh, I told my sisters, I said, I'm going to be cool when I meet this guy. Everybody talking about how cool he is. I said, I'm gonna be cool. He walked up toward me in this little white suit and cool went out the window. <laughs> I said, Oh, <"Well>, Prince. <laughs> <laughs> and then I told him, I said, My mom, my mom wants me to kiss you for her Prince. He gave me his G. He said, Kiss me on this tattoo, maybe it's for mom. I said, Okay. <laughs> but, but when I saw he wasn't gonna talk to me, he just smiled mm. and rolled his big eyes, you know. And uh, I said, I'm gonna write to him. Mm. I was writing him 13 and 14 page legal pad letters. Wow! And uh, I started from I start when I was a little girl. I loved to go to Sunday school. My mother would dress me in my little cute dress and patent shoes. I have my little purse. Mm. And every song that he wrote for me had something from my letters in there. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that song. And I said, Blood is thicker than time. We went to church on Sunday morning, all dressed up looking mighty fine. The spirit came without a warning, intoxicated us all like wine. Mm. You know, and it's a message, though. Don't it make you stop and wonder why we kill our own kind every day? Why can't we get along with each other when we darn well know it's the only way? Sure as Moses stealth parted the water and sure as Cain had to pay for his crime, sure as no one wants to be broken hearted, that's how sure I am that blood is thicker than time. Yeah, he wrote that for my family. He said, he got it. That, that's a tribute to your family.
0: He got it. As he said, read those letters. He got it.
2: Yeah. I've been to the mountaintop. I've been to the valley low. The one thing that never stopped was the love that my family showed. When my mama, she
3: passed away. My papa, he gave us hope. He said they won't ever come.
2: When your family won't help you cope As sure as Moses that parted the
3: water As sure as Cain had to pay for his crime sure as no one wants to be broken hearted That's how sure I am That blood is thicker than time
0: That's Mavis Staples singing Blood is Thicker Than Time, a song written for her by Prince When we spoke with Mavis, we wound up with more than we could possibly fit in a single episode. You can hear part two of our conversation with Mavis Staples on the website, soundopinions.org, or find it on the podcast feed. But right now, we want to hear from you. What has the music of Mavis Staples meant to you? What are your memories of the Staples singers? Leave us a message on the hotline, 888-859-1800. Greg... Thank you for uh, bringing us, Mavis. It was a gift. (laughs) Sound Opinions, as always, was produced by Brendan Banisak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. On sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
3: New messages. Hey
5: Greg and Jim, this is John from Cincinnati. Huge national fan and uh, driving home now pretty bummed out hearing your review of the album, but I have to say I agree with you 100%. So, not sure what happened there. I kind of always blame those things on maybe a producer who needed to keep them more grounded in reality. Very disappointing. Great band with great legacy of great albums. And they're an amazing live. But, unfortunately, that was uh, quite the disappointment. So, at least I have to go listen to your next Barry Treasure podcast. And uh, maybe that will cheer me up. So, keep up the good work. I love the show. Thanks. Bye.
3: You had your soul with- I was in no mood away I could
5: forget I had only one this is Peter from Chicago, longtime listener. In regards to your Buried Treasure episodes, a band I learned about actually going through one of your Buried Treasures, I think, uh, Viagra Boys, and I was looking for tickets to... See if they were coming to the US, and I didn't see any of that. But a band called Snapped Ankles came up uh, that was playing in England, and I just checked them out. They are unbelievable. They have a new album called Stunning Luxury. Wonderful. uh their last album uh, come play the trees uh, really cool quirky aggressive electronic wonderfulness and I think you guys would really love them and uh, I think they uh, they're definitely worth listening so uh, love the show guys thanks so much for it <laughs>
1: Hey guys, my name is uh, Spencer I'm calling from Birmingham, Alabama I'm listening to One of your Very Treasure episodes And thought I'd send along a recommendation Called All We Have It's an album by the Taylor Scott Band
3: Somebody told me That if you look closely You can see the color Of another man's soul
1: they're a phenomenal foursome out of Denver. It's got influences from every single genre imaginable. Definitely some big hits on this record. I think it deserves some attention. Thanks.
5: Opinions. My name is and I'm from Chicago, and I recently listened to your episode about bands that are flying under the radar that are not being picked up as much as they should, and I've been listening to a lot of bands that are on tour recently. It's a lot of metal bands like Terminal Nation out of Arkansas, Hers Collective, uh, John Ray, but there's one specifically from Chicago called Neckbeard Death Camp, and they're an anti-racist black metal band that has caught up a lot of attention from the left side and the right side, as you probably know, black metal has had issues with white nationalism and anti-Semitism. And this band was started to basically trash talk them and promote anti-racism, anti-transphobia, and anti-homophobia in the metal scene and make it an acceptance again. Uh, one of the songs that I'd like to point out on their album called "White Nationalism" is for basement dwelling losers. There's one called "Intel Warfare." I think you guys should check it out. Keep it up.